Instead of syncing your phone with iTunes, downloading an MP3 into your mobile device, you can stream episodes of MTR with the Stitcher Smart Radio app. Stitcher allows you to listen to My Take Radio via your 4G, 3G, or Wi-Fi connections. Downloading it is quick and easy. Head over to stitcher.com forward slash my take, and you'll even be eligible to win some money. Enter my take, all one word, in the promo box, and you'll be eligible to win $100, courtesy of My Take Radio and Stitcher. MTR Live starts right now. This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's up, guys? Welcome to My Take Radio, episode 173 for Thursday, February 14th, 2013. Our call in number is 347-324-3541. Again, our call in number 347-324-3541. You can also hit up our feedback line, 347-815-0687. Excuse me. 347-815-0687 or 0MTR, whichever works for you. Anyway. Happy Valentine's Day for those of you that have significant others, for those of you that have dates with your hands and a bottle of Jergens. Happy Valentine's Day to you guys, too. Please take a break and stick around with us for three hours and have a good time. Otherwise, proceed with your self-loving for Valentine's Day. For those that don't celebrate it or feel it's a Hallmark holiday, sucks to be you guys. All right, let's get into this week's show. We got a lot to discuss. First off, I got to apologize to you guys for... The continued issues we've been experiencing with Blog Talk Radio. Um, after the incident last Thursday, we emailed BTR and they actually had us told us to call in, which I'll be doing tomorrow to discuss some of the issues in detail. Obviously, it's just very frustrating because, you know, it puts a damper on the show and what we're trying to do, especially when we have a guest. Um, I'm glad that Gilbert hung out with us last week and toughed it out, and we actually got an awesome show. I got to also take the opportunity to say that Gilbert's episode just reached a thousand downloads. So definitely props to Gilbert for that. I'm sure he'll be excited to hear. And I also let him know on Twitter about it. So if you are following Gilbert on Twitter at Jamal Smith, MMA, just drop him a line. Let him know if you checked out the interview or worst case, congratulate him on the 1000 download milestone. I'm sure he'll be excited to hear it. All right. Besides all that and all the typical BTR nonsense that we dealt with, um, a lot of great great stuff has been happening behind the scenes with MTR. We um, added a new live streaming component to the site. Um, well, not live streaming, more like um, live blogging, similar to stuff you guys see on Engadget and some of the other sites for certain events. We're going to try and live blog some stuff. 
Um, I was contemplating doing it with Raw this week, obviously. The real job got in the way and did not allow me to do some live blogging, but we're going to test out that component at some point this week, um, whether it's going to be during the this weekend's UFC event or during Raw on Monday, but we're going to figure that out, and once we do, we will be implementing that often going forward. Also, we added a couple of little things to the site, which you guys can probably see if you go to mytakeradio.com, just... Um, just better social media interaction, ways to subscribe to our RSS feed, which gives you access not only to the shows, but also all our content as well. And you can access that via your iPad, your iPhone, whatever RSS reader you're using. So I recommend you guys do that. Also, we made sure to put that there. So those of you that were not aware can subscribe to our YouTube channel. It's youtube.com forward slash my take radio TV. And you guys can check out all the videos we post there. We try to get all the shows up there. Whenever possible, it's just, I don't know if it's the computer or YouTube, it is hours upon hours to upload, especially a three-hour show to YouTube. It's it's very frustrating, but we try and get all the shows out there, and some of our exclusive content we try to throw up there as well. Also, we added a new form for those of you that are interested in doing guest posts for us or even writing for us full-time. There is a full... Uh, two-part application on the site you can use if you're interested in writing for MTR full-time. You can fill out the top application. If you just want to submit a guest post, you can do it right from the application right on the site. So if you're interested, look for Write for MTR on the website, and you guys can click that and use that. Also, I want to let you guys know that Facebook, for some reason, changed uh, the way that they handle tabs. So the Mixler player on our Facebook page is not working or inaccessible. So if you do want to listen to the show via Mixler, please use the listen tab on mytakeradio.com. You can also use the blog talk radio player, but the audio is going to be of inferior quality. Last but not least, we also have a Stitcher player there. If you're a Stitcher user and you like using that, you can use that to access our shows as well. We got a lot of content on the site in the last few days. We're really trying to get that stuff on a consistent basis, and we're really, really working to deliver great content every day, whether it's comic stuff, movies, MMA, and we're going to be expanding into some toys and collectibles and some of the geek culture stuff. I'm just trying to find a good uh, title for that particular section. I just don't want to use like geek culture or geek lifestyle because it's, it's more than that, especially if we're going to talk about uh, toys and collectibles and t-shirts and stuff like that. I don't want to, I don't want to just pigeonhole it into one category. So we're going to be working on that in the coming days, as well as our new intro for the videos on my take radio TV. So all of that stuff is coming together quite nicely. We're also researching the possibility of an event going down in conjunction with our friends at unveil. So once we got full details on that, I will make a formal announcement on the show. So there you have it on the guest front. Hip hop gamer will be joining us next week. Uh, That would be episode 174. For the 21st and we'll be joined by Jason David Frank on the 28th his appearance is tentative at this time I know he's currently in Thailand but we have him penciled in for the 28th should that change for whatever reason I will make sure to let you guys know about that lastly uh, the get glue check-ins there you know they are appreciated as always especially because at some point you never know maybe they'll decide to give us a sticker and give us a little love If they don't, they're appreciated nonetheless. But 
Please continue to use them. As for our T-shirts, you guys know the deal with that. And as always, our banners on the site and our links and articles are all, you know, they're all affiliate links that help out MTR in terms of getting new equipment, getting us to certain events, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, turn off your ad blocker if you go by the site. Just, you know, click an ad if you're going to buy something or you're interested. And if you're going to pick up something from Amazon, use the MTR Amazon store. Like I said, it helps us out, allows us to upgrade our equipment, give us um, better opportunities to go out there and cover more events, et cetera. You guys know the deal. Um, that that replaced the whole donate button thing. I don't want to put that out there. I'm not a fan of it. So if you can, do it that way. If you want to support us, we would really appreciate it. All right. Tonight's topics. We're going to talk about the Ultimate Fighter. We got some MPD numbers on the game front. We got to talk a little bit about Monday Night Raw and TNA Impact because there's actually going to be uh, time for that this week, hopefully, if all goes according to plan. Uh, we're also going to talk some UFC, Bellator, and also Invicta news. And we got your entertainment news as well, including a very interesting uh, plot point I got from Ain't It Cool News regarding Fast and Furious 7. Don't adjust your radio dial, not Fast and Furious 6, which will be out later on this year, but Fast and Furious 7. I'm not going to spoil it for you guys, and I will get to that. And of course, I will issue a spoiler warning if you don't want that spoiled either way. All right, so before we get into this week's show... I wanted to talk about a couple of different things that happened uh, this week. Uh, first off, I want to talk about Valentine's Day. Very interesting culture that Valentine's Day is because there's it's become the hallmark culture and it's become so over-commercialized that uh, I've been with, with, with Andrea now. Next month will be 13 years and you reach a, a point where it's like when Valentine's Day comes around, you just go... Let's go out the day before. Let's go out that weekend. Let's not go anywhere near any establishments on Valentine's Day because it's just an overabundance of fuckery running rampant. Uh, for my two sisters in particular, I like to buy them, you know, little candy hearts because, you know, that's what that's what parents do or pseudo parents, whatever, however you want to uh, classify it. Anyway, I go into CVS and it's just complete chaos. Just guys running in there buying shit for either their girl or their side piece. But I, I guarantee you most of the side piece chicks got their flowers and gifts yesterday or they're probably going to be taken out to dinner tomorrow. So that's a separate story all its own. Nonetheless, it was just complete chaos. There was, um, you know, price gouging out the ass like a usual bunch of flowers that, you know, is like five or ten bucks it was like twenty five dollars. The, the guys were selling flowers outside of 7-Eleven. I stop in 7-Eleven every morning to buy a double gulp of uh, Coke Zero you know, probably just destroying myself inside. But either way, I don't drink coffee, so that's my caffeine source usually, either that or some form of monster energy. But there was just a huge table of, of just lackluster flowers being sold for 20 and $25 a pop with a bear that you can probably find in a 99-cent store or in a really, really good Salvation Army. It's just, it's just ridiculous, just the over-commercialization of the entire holiday if you love somebody, love them every year. If you don't got nobody, love yourself. It's silly to say, but you know, that if you don't take care of you, nobody's going to take care of you for you, as, as crazy as that sounds. Anyway, the other thing I wanted to talk about was the uh, Dorner incident, obviously, with uh, what's going on in California. Obviously, the guy running around shooting cops, full-on Rambo, and a very interesting turn of events. Um, 
which is that there were people, and I noticed this on Twitter and Facebook and a lot of places, that were rooting for Dorner, which is crazy for a multitude of reasons. That of course, you had your conspiracy theorists talking about, you know, this was a ploy by the Obama administration and the government and blah, 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 to continue to limit our, our, our rights to own handguns and weapons, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to give you guys my unbiased opinion on it. And again, those opinions are my own, but I share them with you guys. It's an open forum. So the way I see it is for people that were rooting for this guy, there were a couple of justifiable arguments, not justifiable in the sense that uh, of the people that he killed, but justifiable in the sense that if the guy was wronged by the department, especially a guy that was so highly decorated by the military, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, it may have made him crack at which point he, he decided to just wage this one man war on the LAPD. Again, not that I'm condoning it in any shape, way or form, but if it comes out later on down the road that, that what he said with regards to allegations that, um, a fellow officer abused, um, someone that was arrested, that's, you know, et cetera, et cetera. If that comes out to be true down the road, it's just going to be real unfortunate. Again, I'm not glorifying what he did, but I'm just talking about it from the standpoint that this guy had a, had a really hardcore belief system ingrained in him by the military, which he in turn carried on to the police. And pretty much once he was fired from the LAPD, it almost felt like they, everybody turned his back on him based on what I read, you know, from the manifesto and some of the stuff that's online. And again, it's always an open to interpretation. You can view it different ways. Me personally, I just felt that the the situation escalated to the point of no return. There was there was no reasoning with the guy. There was no catching the guys. Based on what's been said on the news, the standoff with police yesterday resulted in the cabin burning down around him. And supposedly he shot himself before they went in there to catch him. Whatever the case may be, it's just a tragic incident because... It hurt a lot of people in different ways. Number one, the cops were so paranoid that they ended up shooting a car with people that they thought were Dorner at the time. They were, you know, delivering newspapers, etc. And it was just paranoia running rampant. You know, the, the officer's daughter that got shot with her fiance because he wanted to reach the guy and he figured that was the easiest way to do it. It's just a lot of cold, calculating and crazy shit. Now, with regards to people rooting for him or or finding his his methods justified i i'll personally say that i don't find that as the right way to do things if if he was wrong by the department there were there were other ways and he had other outlets but obviously he was wronged in such a way and he probably had existing psychological issues that were masked through the LAPD recruitment process that just contributed to this downward spiral where the guy just fucking went crazy and went to war rambo style with the LAPD it, again, there were no winners in this. It's unfortunate, but I was just shocked at the amount of people I saw, not only on Twitter, but people I know on Facebook just saying that they kind of respect the way he's handling it, which is just completely fucking weird. I think we've reached a point, though, where people just like to say shit for shock value. But in either case, there were no winners with that. It was just a fucked up situation. Simple as that. The other thing that's been... uh running rampant on the web is the Harlem shake videos, which are without a doubt, some of the most ludicrous and insane things I've ever seen. No MTR is not going to do one. So rest easy. We are not going to partake in that insanity. But the fact that, um, 
you know, employees from Facebook, uh, people that from Pepsi, it's, it's just running rampant, but like anything else, it'll probably be hot for another couple of weeks and then just die a quiet death, much like grumpy cat Gangnam style and the rest of the other memes that just run wild for a couple of weeks and then just fade into obscurity. (laughs) Either way, with that said, let's get into some MMA because we have quite a bit to discuss. Let's get the ball rolling. So the Ultimate Fighter this week was actually very, very interesting for a few reasons. Obviously, uh, this was the episode post Uriah Hall separating Adam Seller from his consciousness. But besides that, there was just a little bit of deeper storytelling and it, it, it worked out in such a way that the storytelling just worked to to really just give us another layer to the fighters in the house. It, it didn't detract. It wasn't over the top. The editing was was very good. Um, overall, a pretty solid episode. As for the fight itself, it was Colin Hart. And from Team Jones and Kevin Casey, uh, a, a very, very good fight from start to finish. Hart looked really good in both rounds. He ended up securing the victory via unanimous decision. I really like this fight. It gives it gave Jones their, their win going into the next episode. And not for nothing, Casey, Casey looked pretty, pretty solid out there. But Colin Hart, he really, you know, coming out there just really being aggressive uh, revert, you know, working knees to the body at, at the close of round one, which I felt definitely got him in the driver's seat for that round. Round two was a lot more of just Hart being the aggressor. But again, not taking anything away from Casey. Casey was very, very solid. Overall, uh, great fight. Um, like I said, Colin, very, very aggressive, super relentless. Uh, next week, uh, you know, Chael ra- rallying the troops. And, of course, like any season, there's going to be some charades. There's going to be some crazy stuff. Bubba McDaniels will be taking on Kelvin Gastelum next week. So it's going to be very interesting to see how that goes. Uh, honestly, again, the season so far so good. Bubba McDaniel from Team Jones and Kevin Gastelum from Team Sonnen meet next week. Like I said, uh, great episode. Gave us a little bit more insight into the fighters, but not in a way that was detrimental, which was good. And we had a very, very solid fight to close things out. Now let's get into the MMA news for this week, because there was, there was, there was a lot of things that went on that I want to talk about. First up, we got some strike force guys making their way into the cage and, and they're just coming in there to make a statement. First one, uh, according to newsday.com, Ovin St. Pru OSP, he's going to be taking on Gian Vellante, that's going to be a light heavyweight fight at UFC 159. Of course, that is the big one, April 27th in Jersey. John Jones, Chael Sonnen for the light heavyweight title. Also, Michael Bisping will be on that card, taking on Alan Belcher, Phil Davis, Vinny Magalesh, Pat Healy, Jim Miller, Czech Congo, Roy Nelson, Nick Catone and James Head, New York's Ali Akinta, Joe Proctor, and Ovin St. Preux, Gian Vellante, and of course, Rustan, uh, Kabalov taking on Yancey Madero. So very, very solid card in Jersey. And above all, it's going to highlight it with, with Jones, Chael Sonnen. And with the news I got about some MMA legislation here in New York, this, this may be 
the final card that's in our that's close to our backyard and not in our backyard. We shall see what happens, and I'll get into that later on in the segment. The other fighter making his debut is going to be Lorenz Larkin from Strike Force. He'll be debuting on the April 20th UFC on Fox card. He's going to be taking on Francis Carmont, who is unbeaten right now in the octagon. Again, April 20th, that's going to be at the HP Pavilion in San Jose. Awesome, awesome card, and it's free on free TV on Fox. Benson Henderson, Gilbert Melendez for the lightweight title. Daniel Cormier, Frank Mir, Nate Diaz taking on Josh Thompson, Matt Brown, and Dan Hardy, which is going to be a war. Miles Jury taking on Ramsey Najem. Uh, Jorge Masvidal taking on Tim Means. All great fights. Clifford Starks, Yoel Romero, Norman Park, John Tuck, and Roger Bowling, Anthony and Jaquani. And it's it's going to be ridiculous from start to finish. I'm, I'm super pumped for that card. And again, it's free TV. Uh, Benson Henderson will definitely bring the people in. And we're going to finally find out who is the best pound-for-pound pound lightweight in the world. If it's going to be El Nino, Gilbert Melendez, or... Bendo, we shall find out April 20th for Fox on Fox 7, UFC on Fox 7. So there you have it. Now, switching gears a little bit, got to talk a little bit about the ladies at Invicta FC putting together another stacked card. That's going down April 5th in Kansas City. Most likely you'll be able to see that on iPay-Per-View. Hopefully they they will have worked out all their issues and we can have a solid card without any problems. Uh, the main event is uh, Jessica Penny taking on Michelle Waterson. That's going to be for the 105-pound title. Also, Barb Honchak is taking on Vanessa Porto for the vacant 125-pound title. We also have the debut of Zoila Frosto. She's taking on Jennifer Maya. Sarah Kaufman's taking on Leslie Smith. Amanda Nunez is taking on Caitlin Young. Julia Budd is also going to be on that card taking on Eddie Ann Gomes. Uh, Nick Daly Rivera is going to be taking on Cassie Radish. Also, Jaminka Saif is taking on Beck Hyatt, coming off that loss um, in the title fight. Beck Hyatt looking to make a statement. Her loss in in the title fight was really it wasn't detrimental. She just you know she just met met up with an opponent who had some really really solid wrestling. I think Beck Hyatt's going to be a, 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 fe- a female mixed martial artist to keep an eye on. Extremely marketable. Uh, she she's good on the camera. She has a great sense of humor. I think it's going to be her coming out party on this Invicta FC five event. Really looking forward to that fight. Also, Juliana Carnero Lima's taking on Katya. Wow, I'm going to mess up this chick's name. Can Canapa? Oof. K a n k a a n p a a. Wow. Anyway, also we got a great some great fights on the prelims, including a Jessamine Duke taking on Miriam Nakamoto. Uh, Rose Namajunas, of course, uh, Pat Barry's girlfriend's going to go in there and she's going to go to war on the prelims again, probably I pay-per-view for that. And once I get the details, I will share them on the site or I will share them on air with you guys. Another card that's coming together and that's this weekend, fully finalized, ready to rock and roll UFC fuel TV seven. It's going to be at the Wembley arena in London, but check this out. It is going to be airing on Fuel TV at 3 o'clock Eastern Standard Time this Saturday. 3 o'clock. Henan Burrell t- defends the interim bantamweight title against Michael McDonald. Dustin Poirier is taking on Cub Swanson. Cyril Diabati is fighting Jimmy Manua. Gunnar Nelson is taking on Jorge Santiago. You got Ryan Jimmo taking on James Tahuna. Matt Riddle and Che Mills will meet in the Fuel TV portion of the card. The prelims will be on Facebook, and they start at 12.15 Eastern Standard Time. 
Terry Etum, Renee Forte, Danny Castillo, and Paul Sass. Josh Grisby, Andy Ogle, Stanislav Nevkov is taking on Tom Watson. Von Lee is taking on Monotobu Tezuka, and Ulysses Gomez is taking on Phil Harris. Again, prelims will be on Facebook at 12.15, the main card, Fuel TV, at 3 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. I'm sure they will do a replay later on in the evening, but if you want to get the results right away and you want to get some MMA on a Saturday afternoon, Again, Fuel TV is your source, and 3 o'clock Eastern Standard Time is the time to watch. Now, everybody's been watching the UFC closely. Obviously, we got um, uh, Liz Carmouche and Ronda Rousey as the two female mixed martial artists that are kind of paving the way for the brand new UFC women's division. Well, guess what? We got some new additions as well, and we also got some fights coming together. Uh, Misha Tate will be taking on Kat Zingano in April at the Tough 17 finale. Um, of course, obviously, that's going to be the Tough 17 finale fight. Also on that card, Travis Brown is meeting Gabriel Gonzaga. And Misha Ta- uh, Cupcake Tate will be taking on Kat Zingano. Obviously, Misha Tate is really, really trying to make a statement so that she can go and get another opportunity against Ronda Rousey. Also, we're going to see some featherweight action as Demetrius Johnson puts his UFC flyweight title on the line. Wow, I think I fucked up the weight class. But yes, UFC flyweights will be in action as Mighty Mouse takes on John Moraga, which I'm really looking forward to. It feels like just yesterday, Mighty Mouse fought in his fight against John Dotson. Guy's ready to get back into the cage and scrap, so I'm really looking forward to that. Also on that card, I forgot to mention, uh, Bart Polshevsky is taking on Cole Miller which is also going to be a very good fight. So some women's mixed martial arts for the UFC ladies division will be in action during the Tough 17 finale. Also during the uh, conference call for UFC 157, the UFC also confirmed that they signed Alexis Davis and Sarah McMahon as well. They will be part of the 135-pound women's roster. So it's going to be very interesting to see Uh, just where they're going to start fitting these ladies. Obviously, like I said, Ronda Rousey, Liz Carmouche, Misha Tate, Kat Zingano, and now Alexis Davis and Sarah McMahon joining the the rapidly growing women's division. But one young lady that is not going to be uh, joining that division is Chris Cyborg Santos, who was actually released from her contract. It seems that as per Tito Ortiz, Cyborg requested to be released from her contract and I'm sure she's going to go now to Invicta. Now, the problem I have with this is that Cyborg definitely would have made a huge payday fighting Ronda Rousey, and given the animosity, Dana White was even entertaining a catchweight bout, but obviously the big money's in the title fight, that's where it is, and not for nothing, I understand, and I have to agree that Ronda Rousey's in the driver's seat with regards to that. Clearly, she's the champion. You want a shot at the belt. You got to chase for it. You got to drop down to 135. Simple as that. You know, it's a 10-pound difference. She was, Chris Cyborg was the 145-pound champion. She says that she can't cut 10 pounds, obviously, due to it affecting her body and prohibiting her from having children, etc., etc. But a lot of people are saying that you can cut the 10 pounds. Various sources have said it. Uh, Mike Dolce, I believe, was even mentioned that he would help her cut the weight. But I guess she decided to take her ball and go home. Not to say that she she loses respect for going to Invicta because they got a great promotion over there, a lot of great talent. But there's a guaranteed payday for you 
fighting Ronda Rousey. But who knows? I don't think that this is the end of that story. On the contrary, I just think that this is just one of many layers. And of course, with Tito Ortiz being involved, it's never a it's never an easy affair to begin with anyway. So I'll be watching this with much interest because, like I said, I think Cyborg Ronda Rousey is going to be a huge payday if it goes down in the UFC uh, to the point where it'll probably be co-main event, if not main event status, depending on how Ronda Rousey and Liz Carmouche's numbers come in after this event on the 23rd. Fresh off their losses and looking to redeem themselves, Junior Dos Santos will be meeting Alistair Overeem at UFC 160. Also on that card, Cain Velasquez will be defending his heavyweight title against Antonio Bigfoot Silva. That's going down May 25th in Vegas, obviously. Main card on pay-per-view, prelims on FX and Facebook. Now, personally, I'm very happy to see Junior Dos Santos finally square off against Alistair Overeem. What happens from there? Will there be title implications in that match? Remains to be seen. Uh, I'm sure that if either guy puts on an amazing or dominant performance, they're going to get a shot right away at the winner of Velasquez and Silva. I think after what happened with Bigfoot Silva and Kane Velasquez the first time, the odds-on favorite going in is Kane. And you know, if Ben were on air with us, he would say that that was pretty much a mauling and Antonio Silva may be in line for another one. But who knows? We'll see what happens. One fight that I'm actually excited and really looking forward to seeing is Luke Rockhold's debut in the UFC. He'll be taking on Vitor Belfort. Now, the reason I'm actually excited for that is because Rockhold's coming in, um, you know, 185-pound champ coming in. I really thought he was going to fight Anderson Silva. I really thought that they were going to go that route. But they decided to give him Vitor Belfort, which is a, a great fight nonetheless. And that's going to be headlining an event in Brazil, either in April or May. Odds are it may be a UFC on a, on FX event, and it will likely determine the number one contender for the middleweight title. We will see how that goes. Either way, it's going to be interesting for Rockhold coming in. He, he didn't defend his belt against Lorenz Larkin, and now he's coming in. He's got a really, really game and dangerous Vitor Belfort as usual, and we're going to hear the usual young lion, old lion spiel leading up to their fight. Either way, I'm excited to see it. I want to see if Luke Rockhold can hang in the UFC and if Belfort still has some gas in the tank to make another run at the belt. In some Bellator news next week, Bellator 90. Looking forward to that because King Mo will be in action taking on Emmanuel Newton. That's going to be the light heavyweight tournament semifinal. Also, Rad Martinez is going to be taking on Shabalot Shamalaev. That's going to be the featherweight tournament final. Also on that card, Brian Baker taking on Douglas Lima, Raul Amaya taking on Ben Saunders, Jacob Noe taking on Mikhail Zayat, and those are all tournament semifinals. Uh, Lima and Baker for the welterweights, Amaya and Saunders for the welterweights, and Noe and Zayat for the light heavyweights. Also on Spike.com, they're going to have the prelims as usual, and hopefully starting next week, you'll be able to watch the Spike.com prelims on MyTakeRadio.com as well. Just trying to spice things up and give you guys a little extra incentive to uh, tune into the MMA tab on the site. So there you have it. Hopefully Spike.com prelims will be on MyTakeRadio.com starting with Bellator 90 next week. Now, here are the big news to cap things off on the MMA front. We all know UFC has has had no leeway no bit of ground gained 
in getting MMA sanctioned here in New York State. This has obviously led to lawsuits, tons of shit going on. Well, it seems that Zufa actually scored a very, very significant win in a legal battle with New York State uh, earlier this week. Basically, the way it works, and I'm going to share this courtesy of Fightline.com, what happens is John Schwartz, who represents the New York Attorney General's office, acknowledged unequivocally that the law prohibiting professional MMA did not apply to amateur versions of the sport. Per the statute, a pre-approved third-party sanctioning body could oversee MMA events in the state. This admission led, obviously, to the legal counsel representing Zufa to state that there would be no further need to pursue the lawsuit against New York if this was the case. Presiding Judge Kimba Wood of the U.S. District Attorney of, of the Southern District of New York pushed both sides to immediately settle. Now, please note, the MMA ban in New York was enacted in 1997. Since that time, cage fighting of any sort or MMA has not been allowed here. We got Muay Thai, which we can see, and, and there's a couple of places that I know hold some MMA events, but I'm talking about legit going into like Nassau Coliseum, MSG, any of these other venues and watching mixed martial arts hasn't happened. Like I said, close as we get, some great Muay Thai fights from our friends at uh, Take On Muay Thai. But with that, now it seems that things are really, really moving in a, in a positive direction for the UFC. Obviously, the door is now open for the UFC or any MMA promotion to circumvent the, van, the ban by, check this out, by utilizing pre-approved sanctioning bodies enumerated in the statute. These obviously include the World Kickboxing Association, the Professional Karate Association, and the U.S. Judo Association. But the problem is that while the ban is in place, New York State Athletic Commissions do not have regulatory authority over MMA in the state or any oversight thus far. Now, the big thing is, obviously, Dana White wants to hold a UFC event in Madison Square Garden in November to commemorate the UFC's 20th anniversary. Zufa has already... Reserve the venue for such time. So there you have it. There's a huge, huge, huge amount of just just positive press because it's a step in the right direction, not only for the state, but for the sport in general. Only because New York State uh, is, is an MMA town. We, we got numerous disciplines here. We have numerous organizations that work here. Like I said, take on a couple of amateur promotions that really try and put on shows throughout New York State, we really, really, really can do incredible things with mixed martial arts here in New York State, whether it's Madison Square Garden, Nassau Coliseum, uh, Westbury Music Fair, any of those events. Not only that, but if we have the MMA Expo, which is this weekend, as a matter of fact, if you're in New York City, you guys can check it out in the Javits on the 16th and the 17th. Why can't we have the sport? It's that simple. We can have the Expo we can promote the sport, but we can't have the sport. It really makes no sense. Not only that, but it's just going to bring us more revenue. It's going to bring us more revenue. It's going to bring MMA to the main stage. Nothing brings a bigger smile to my face as a New Yorker and, and a fan of mixed martial arts than walking through Times Square and seeing a big UFC billboard in Times Square. And it isn't a, one, a one-off occurrence. It is often and all the time. On the con uh, Most times I share them, whether it's via Instagram or Twitter or on our Facebook fan page, but the fact remains that the sport has a home here in New York City. 
it'll thrive in New York City. And not only that, but it'll give New York City money that it sorely needs. So there you have it, guys. That's actually going to wrap up our MMA segment for this week. We're going to talk some wrestling. And, of course, one of my favorite superstars takes us in right into it. We want the gold, sucker! Hulk Hogan, we're coming for you, nigga! So Raw this week was was rather interesting, and it was interesting to the point where we actually got two buried columns out of it, one from one from Captain Quark and one from Blade, and I can understand, and, and I agree with Quark's logic in his buried, that Raw was actually qu- pretty solid the last, the last couple of weeks. You know, it wasn't completely terrible, which I've said. There were, there were some things that were lacking, but it wasn't a complete shit show. This week... 50-50. The opening match, Mark Henry with the the crippled Great Khali and Hornswoggle obviously ended in a mauling as the world's strongest man pretty much murdered, death, killed the Great Khali and then proceeded to murder, death, kill Hornswoggle. Now, if they're using the the killing of Hornswoggle to write him off so that he can go and work on the new Leprechaun film, whatever, that works. As for the Great Khali... Somebody send him the fuck home. Either that or give that motherfucker a segue so he can walk his ass to the ring. Because it's it's just, it's a travesty. It is a travesty that that guy can barely walk. I don't understand if it's that he wants to continue wrestling or if it's just the fact that they like having him because the kids like him. I don't know, but he he is moving terribly, terribly. And that match did not do him any favors whatsoever. Next match that we got was for Chris Jericho to get into the Elimination Chamber. Had a very, very super competitive match with Daniel Bryan, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Um, Really a a, a great work between both guys. I think that if there was a feud between them down the road, it would be extremely entertaining. A lot lot of great wrestling, uh, a lot of great counters between Chris Jericho and Daniel Bryan. I really enjoyed the match, and 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 it erased the bitter taste of the... Mark Henry, great Kali match that got the night, the the night rolling. Seriously, it was terrible. In a build up to their six man tag match at the Elimination Chamber, Sheamus, Ryback, and John Cena proceeded to bury the three MB. Not to say that they were remotely any good, but you guys, WWE creative, spent all this time putting these three jobber fodder guys together and i say that because that's where they've even relegated mcintyre to Mel- even mcintyre has has become complete fucking rubbish at this point but the problem with the 3mb is that i don't really loathe those guys i just think that they just they don't have anything that's bringing them together cohesively to be a force like they're not coming out there attacking guys they're not coming out there breaking the set they're not coming out there to do anything they're just a a comedy stable at this point. And what it does is it doesn't do those guys any favors. I think Drew McIntyre still has some potential. I, I honestly think that even Jinder Mahal has some good potential. A lot of people say good things about him from NXT and from the work that he's done in the minors. And I don't understand why we don't see that on television. I don't get it. Because there's really 
if the guy's as good as they say in the minors, where where's the takeaway when he comes up? When he gets the call up to the main stage, what do they strip away that makes him complete shit? And Heath Slater, Heath Slater's kind of in that lovable jobber mode. Like, I don't hate him completely, but sometimes he's on the TV too much, and I'm just like, yo, get this guy off my fucking television. But again, I think Heath Slater, you spend a little time with him, you put him out there on the mid-card, he can, he can do some work out there. I'm not saying run around and get a belt right away, but definitely keep that keep that particular aspect of the WWE mid-card interesting. Same thing with Mahal and even McIntyre. I think McIntyre could could be a suitable IC or US champion with the right gimmick and with the right tools. Definitely. Right now with this 3MB shit though, they come on they come on television, that's my cue to go take a shit. I'm sorry. I used to relegate that to matches involving Eve Torres, but seriously, 3MB Whenever they're on television, that's the shit break match. Jack Swagger with the debuting Zeb Coulter took on Zack Ryder in another glorified squash for poor Zack Ryder as the Swagger push continues. For those not familiar, Zeb Coulter is actually Dutch Mantle, and I'm going to shed a little bit more light on on the Zeb Coulter character later on in the segment. Next up, of course, the typical heel on commentary during face match was what you'd expect. The Miz took on Cody Rhodes. Antonio Cesaro proceeded to murder, death, kill the Miz by pretty much using him as a human maraca and smashing him into the barricade repeatedly. Obviously, I think this was partly because the Miz almost killed CM Punk, which I'll talk about later, and partly because they wanted to get Cesaro even more over in the feud. The new tag team of Tensai and Brodus Clay were in action against my favorite Goya brothers with the terrible Rosa Mendez. If you guys thought that this was going to be anything other than a squash to get over Tensai and Brodus Clay, you guys clearly haven't watched wrestling that long because that's what we got. Then Rosa Mendez got involved. Naomi and Cameron got involved. Little basement drop kick. We had some dancing. The only thing that I have to say is that if you're putting uh, Brontosaurus and White Saki together, please, please give them matching ring gear. Albert coming out with those tiny little trunks with, with you know, the, the, the Brodus Clay singlet, it just looks so mismatched. If you're going to really try and make them um, a modern-day Akeem the African Dream and Big Boss Man, then please just... Just take a little time to make it work. And that's really what I see when I look at those guys. I see Akeem the African Dream and the Big Boss Man. You know, the big the big guy tag teams. Or uh, Typhoon and Earthquake, which um, Typhoon was Tugboat at the time. But yeah, those, those big guy tag teams, those guys that just run through the division, I can understand. But I don't want to see what they do where, you know, you take the two guys, you throw them together just to break them apart and make them feud. Build that tag team division. Have some fun with it. Obviously, you got a couple of really solid tag teams in there. Primetime players, the Goyas, you know, the the, the, dino, the dino guys, uh, Road Scholars, Team Hell No. You, you got a decent stable. You got a decent stable. If you call up a couple of guys to fill out that division, it, it'll work, I'm telling you. But please, please, please give these guys matching ring gear. At least give Albert a singlet so he doesn't look like complete shit. Because seriously, 
the guy, you know, he he's giant Bernard in New Japan, kicking ass. Now he's in this dancing dinosaur gimmick and whatever. Do what you can to stay relevant, but please, please, just put some clothes on him. Thank you. Alberto Del Rio took on Damian Sandow in a pretty much a, what <laughs> not a squash match, but just a match to get Del Rio over. Of course, he used that to, um, you know, get over his little feud with the Big Show. Wade Barrett, I don't know why, put the put the screws to Kofi Kingston. They also added a little bit of Bo Dallas in there because that feud is still kind of going on. I don't understand why Kofi Kingston pretty much got killed dead by Wade Barrett, especially because Kofi is another guy that really can be the face of your mid-card. If you're not going to have him be the champion, then start subtly testing him out on the main card. I think Kofi Kingston with the belt, whether whether it's the, the, the World Heavyweight belt or the WWE belt, I think it would be good. He, he's really great with the kids. The kids like him. Um, it's another African-American with a, with a big title. And it'd just be interesting to, to have a new player in the main event scene. I like Kofi Kingston. I think he's marketable. You could do a lot with him. But right now, he's kind of just floating around in the mid-card. Obviously, losing cleanly to Barrett. Where Barrett goes from here, who knows? Obviously, it's all roads lead to him and Bo Dallas mixing it up. But Kofi's not being utilized the way he should. We got a match with Kane and good old Dolph Ziggler. Good old reliable Dolph Ziggler. That's what I'm going to just refer to him as from now on. With the winner getting a spot in the chamber. And shocking, Kane got the victory. Once again, Ziggler does the job. Now Team Hell No is in the chamber, which I'm sure is going to lead to some very, very interesting repercussions post-pay-per-view. The chamber right now is comprised of Kane, Daniel Bryan, Mark Henry, Jack Swagger, Chris Jericho, and Randy Orton. Really one of the most random chambers because you can put the you can give a shot to Orton, you can give a shot to Jericho, you can give a shot to Daniel Bryan, maybe Mark Henry, but again, if Del Rio main holds the belt going into WrestleMania, I'd honestly wouldn't mind seeing Del Rio. Del Rio and Orton's been done, but Del Rio and Jericho would be interesting. Um, Del Rio and Swagger with the new, you know, anti-America, you know, America, America um, sentiments coming out of Jack Swagger, that would work. Or maybe Mark Henry, but if anything, may- maybe Daniel Bryan, maybe if you're going to break up Team Hell No, give Daniel Bryan a chance to redeem himself at Mania. I think Daniel Bryan's another guy that you could just make a tremendous face and market him effectively in the company. The crowds love him whether it's the yes chant or the no chant, plus his wrestling bar bar none is amazing. Amazing, especially with solid opponents, CM Punk, Chris Jericho. Guys of that magnitude will always get good matches with Daniel Bryan. Now to close things out, we get the main event promo with The Rock, which led to him eating the GTS from CM Punk. Standing tall, CM Punk leaves with the belt. And that's it. We fade to black, and that the the crazy thing in my in my eyes is the fact that The Rock just comes out, cuts his promo, sees no in ring time, mind you. CM Punk with the belt not only competed in non title matches, tag team matches, and the occasional special championship match on Raw, but he he was actively an in ring performer. This is my gripe with The Rock. It's not so much The Rock having the belt. 
It's The Rock not not really doing any wrestling. You mean to tell me you can't come out and get a decent match, maybe a tag team match with Rock and, I don't know, maybe Rock and Del Rio against Big Show and CM Punk, something, something to just get people people really interested in seeing him wrestle. I understand that he comes out there and he entertains, and to, to some respect, I, I it really adds weight to what CM Punk was talking about. You know, CM Punk comes in and he um he said he comes out there and he wrestles. The Rock doesn't. And that's part of the problem. The Rock comes out and he really just, he does his little shtick and we close out the show with him either standing tall or getting his ass whooped. Other than that, he just takes up airtime needlessly because he doesn't wrestle. I'm sorry, but it's nice to see The Rock back. It's great for nostalgic purposes, but he's not wrestling. No tag team matches, no singles matches, nothing. Is he afraid of getting hurt? Who the fuck knows? But seriously, that's what we need to see. A champion that competes. Not an entertainer. You want to entertain? You can do that. But wrestle. Like I said, a tag team match or or a one-off singles match. Something. Anything. And, you know, Vicky Guerrero, quote-unquote, runs the show. Paul Heyman could have been like, hey, Vicky, you know, let's put The Rock in a match tonight just to, you know wear him down before his his title match with CM Punk something because that's usually what happens the champion is in action prior to the pay-per-view in some capacity whether if it's the face champion it's to warm up for his championship match against the heel if it's the heel he's gonna push for the face to be put in a match to get worn down for the title match whatever the case is the champion competes in some capacity unfortunately that's not what we get we get promos to close out the show that's what we get three hours and to close things out the big the big sell up promos it's it sucks i'm sorry but what can we do now on the tna side of things tna i'm really looking forward to them leaving the impact zone because that crowd is sometimes just a complete dud but we are getting some pretty, pretty good matches. A, a really good match out of Magnus and Christopher Daniels to open things up. And it was really good. They, I think Magnus is one of those guys that you give him the right run, the right opponent, you could really build your company around that guy. The guy's a an incredible competitor, especially coming out of American Gladiators and just evolving over time. I think Magnus, especially, you know, being in the, when they, you know, TNA being in the UK, it was, um, it was big. He got the big face pop. And again, just a, a great match. A really, really great match. Kurt Angle and Samoa Joe exchanged uh, pretty much what I like to call exchange pleasantries and a nice uh, stiff match between those guys just coming in and doing what they got to do. As usual, they never disappoint. But this match wasn't going to end cleanly, especially with the issues with aces and eights. And of course, Wes Briscoe, Garrett Bischoff get involved. And the match pretty much gets thrown out the window. Wes and Garrett Bischoff lay into Samoa Joe and Kurt Angle. Just rights, lefts, kicks. But, you know, the veterans fought them back. I'm sure this is going to be a tag team match at a pay-per-view. And I don't think it's going to be bad. But honestly, Wes Briscoe, awesome to watch. Guy has tremendous potential. Garrett Bischoff, Garrett Bischoff is this. He is a complete dud. Complete dud. 
Anyway, we got um some gut check contestants, the Blossom Twins and Party Marty taking on Gail Kim, Tara, and Jesse Goddard. In a, in, a, in a pretty, pretty good match. Again, you know, UK gut check contestants getting a little bit of, of love, especially, you know, in their, in their native England. But I think that the Blossom Twins would really do good for the knockouts division, besides obviously them being twins. You have an opportunity to add two new women to the division to kind of flesh it out and give us some new matches on television. As for Party Marty, I think he he's not bad. He's really not. I just think that the gimmick, maybe it's just because I've only seen him in action briefly. It just doesn't, I don't feel it connects with the fans. I could be wrong. Obviously in the UK, I can't use the UK crowd to gauge it because they were super into impact. And that's what I'm saying. That's why it's good for TNA to get out of the impact zone. The crowd is just, they, they have more fire. They really bring more energy to the matches. And it showed with this match, because like I said, gut check contestants, and they really, they really had their a game. They looked really good out there. Jesse Goddard is starting to grow on me. I mean, even though he's a reality show reject, I think he's a, an effective heel. He, he does a really good job with it. And working with Tara is really good because Tara is just a seasoned veteran. She knows just the right amount of stuff to do to keep the character fresh and also to help not only get over herself as a heel, but also make Jesse Goddard's look good. So I have no problems with that whatsoever. James Storm and Rob Van Dam was a, a very enjoyable match. Rob Van Dam still got it. I know a lot of people, I've seen him in various message boards, like, oh, you know, RVD's getting old, blah, blah, blah. But he can still go out there with the right opponent and really deliver. And James Storm, James Storm is another guy that's being groomed for a, for a nice main event run. And I think given it, you know, TNA trying to put him into the country music scene and kind of just making him loved in, in, you know, middle America, especially now that they're going on the road, I wouldn't be shocked if James Storm holds that belt before 2013 is over. As for the main event of the evening, we had a, an awesome match between Bobby Roode and Austin Aries. It was a double count out, no contest, but it just uh, just great chemistry with these guys, not only as a tag team, but also just as opponents. I'm really hoping we get a Bobby Roode face turn down the road only because I think his heel shtick has kind of lost its luster. Meanwhile, Austin Aries as a heel is just amazing to watch. I don't want to, you know, disparage Austin Aries face run, but I think Austin Aries as a heel is just at the top of his game. Bobby Roode, he's been a heel long enough. Maybe a nice little heel turn will kind of, get things on the up and up for him because again, another great, another great competitor that probably has another great face title run in him, especially with this ace with the aces and eights situation, you know, turning Bobby Roode, especially with the rumors I'm hearing that they're going to turn AJ heel. I think if you're going to turn AJ heel, then you got to turn Roode face. I think that would work and it would be probably the best part of their, of the entire, just, dynamic of the roster i think rude as a face would be good and aj turning heel would really really work anyway impact overall if i had to give it a score out of a possible 10 i'd give it a seven and a half like i said it had it had a couple of of slow moments and they usually involved hulk hogan and some of the backstage segments but the wrestling the crowd they really made up for it impact was like i said a pretty solid show this week now in regards to other wrestling news uh, first up, I got to give uh, congratulations to former MTR guest Shad Gaspard. Him and Mark Capani, who you guys know were working on the comic book Assassin and Son, are actually going to get be getting an independent feature film out of the deal. 
based on a press release that was put out. Obviously, the comic follows uh, Donovan Braddock, who is known as uh, the Horseman of Death. His wife is murdered in front of his, of his son, and the surviving Braddocks now just they walk a path of vengeance in the New York underground. The we I shared some stuff with you guys from the trailer when Shad was on before, and he talked about it at length. Hopefully, once we get some news regarding the independent feature film that'll be coming out, uh, Shad will stop by. Maybe he'll bring Mark Capani with him, and we can talk about that at length. But I'm really looking forward to it because there's been a lot of stuff with regards to Assassin and Son, including the possibility of video games, anime series, etc. But really, really happy for Shad. I think he was really looking forward to getting this out there, and he talked about it with so much passion when he was a guest on the show the last time that I'm glad to see it come full circle. So hopefully we'll be able to set something up and Shad can come back within the next couple of weeks. Now let's talk about The Miz nearly killing CM Punk this week. Uh, There was a tag match. It was Ryback and The Miz taking on CM Punk and Cesaro, and they went for a standing vertical suplex spot, and pretty much The Miz... um, you know, he, he kind of, I don't know if he slipped or he lost control or just the momentum, but he ended up dropping CM Punk on his neck, straight up brain buster style. And everybody was just, they, they were shocked. People were concerned. You know, trainers came out. Uh, CM Punk finished the match. You know, he, he, he really did a, a good job. He toughed it out, but he you can see that he definitely did not land correctly. And you can tell he was definitely rattled from some of the pictures I've been seeing online. It's just a tough break for The Miz because he gains a little momentum. He starts getting the ball rolling. Then all of a sudden, it's just it just really just falls apart for him. And I feel bad, like I said, uh, The Miz has a tremendous upside, mainstream appeal. But for every two steps that he takes forward, something happens that knocks him two steps back. And Cesaro pretty much killing him on Raw this week is an indication of that. Last but not least, I want to talk a little bit about Jack Swagger's manager, of course, Zeb Coulter, who is Dutch Mantle, who a lot of people know from the Memphis territories. He was also a member of TNA's creative team. Now, originally, he worked in the WWF as Uncle Zeb. You can look for that if you look. He managed, actually, the Blue Brothers, and he also managed Bradshaw during the 90s. So he was called Uncle Zeb at the time. Now he's going by Zeb Coulter. I think it's going to work with Jack Swagger, and if it leads to the, uh, the Wyatts being called up, I think that's going to be really, really good, not only for Swagger, but also for the Wyatts as well. I think Dutch Mantle did a great job really, really healing it up as a, you know, America kind of a dude, you know, just real America for Americans, kind of real subtle, slightly racial undertones, nothing too bad, nothing too crazy, but just enough to really heal it up. And I, and I liked it. I really liked it. I think Dutch Mantle will help Jack Swagger especially with Swagger losing, you know, his promo skills are always not the greatest. And I don't know if he's really working on losing the lisp, but I haven't heard it much in the promos that he's done. So hopefully Coulter will help that along and get Jack Swagger over a little further and allow him to, you know, get to the potential that everybody's talked about him having. We shall see how it pans out. Anyway, I am uh, running on empty. I'm a little thirsty, so I am going to... uh, get myself a drink of water and we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we are going to talk some video game news right after this. 
You know those shows where they play video game music and they laugh in like really high voices like <laughs> Well you won't listen to that on our show. Because uh we don't have the budget for that kind of thing. We're broke as hell. And uh, nobody really cares that much to laugh that hard. So um if you're looking for a show like that that has horrible audio quality and uh void of fake laughter. Video game news radio, 11 p.m. Tuesday nights on all games. What's going on? Let's get into this video game talk because we got a lot to dis- we got a lot to discuss, and there there's so much going on between PlayStation 4 rumors. Just chaos running rampant, but I'm going to open this monster energy that I did not drink, and you're going to hear that pop of the can, because I am a little thirsty, didn't get to grab any water because I left the case in the car, so we're going to drink this monster energy, and I'm going to run at the mouth for 150 miles of show, so we shall see what happens. All right, so first off, obviously, with the demise of thq a lot of the stuff got farmed out and one of the big things was the wwe video game license now it's now been officially confirmed that take two interactive has officially acquired the wwe license the acquisition which has been rumored for some time has official has been made official in court documents filed on tuesday basically what's going to happen now is wwe and ukes which was the game developer that thq brought um their contracts obviously terminated with THQ. They're going to enter into brand new agreements with Take-Two. Now, Take-Two is going to hire THQ's employees that work on the WWE games, and they'll be able to release WWE 14 with minimal issue. Now, this allows the licensing contract to run through 2017. So, Take-Two will be the force behind WWE games going forward. Now, I really have no issue with this. I think Take-Two is going to do a a very good job with it, and bringing in the Ukes team will kind of keep the look of the game the same. But honestly, one of the things that's been bothering me as of late with the WWE games is the roster update Madden mentality of it. You You guys really need to do a bit more. I'd like to see, you know, do the war games with the double cage or maybe the Ready to Rumble gimmick match. Maybe grab some WCW performer performers throw them in there have a little fun with that don't leave it all to created wrestlers but add some of those guys in there just to round things out you guys have all these licenses for wcw ecw the territories throw some of those guys in there you know you guys have those rights already throw them in there whether it's ecw talent or wwe talent i think it's it's something that's really really being underutilized and would benefit from just being fleshed out a bit more, and I'm hoping Take-Two uh, holds on to it and does a better job than THQ did because I think like they did really did a paint-by-numbers with the games for the last, I'd like to say the last three years, where it was pretty much, like I said, a glorified roster update and then releasing all the other wrestlers via DLC and some you had to pay for and some you didn't. Then there was obviously the online component that people really disliked, and that was an issue as well. Personally, I play the WWE games regardless because you know they're a welcome escape. Um, our very own John Blade, Captain Quark, those guys, they play those games at length. They do universe mode. They do all that. Jay Santee as well. 
And for me, I've always felt, I've always liked the creative wrestler aspect and the occasional match here and there. But like I said, I was just soured on the consistent, you know, kind of phoning it in that they were doing the last two years. Hopefully, like I said, uh, take two will revitalize the series and do something good with them. Ubisoft has much to celebrate as far as as it was announced that Far Cry 3 sold 4.5 million copies and that we will be getting a sequel as well. So, uh, you know, Far Cry 3 and 4 are supposed to take place four years between uh, actually. uh, No, Far Cry 3. I think this timeline's a little messed up. I I had notes here on the timeline for Far Cry 3. I play I remember playing two. And vaguely remember playing one, but in terms of the story of the chronological story time, I just can't piece it together, and I don't know if this is right. So, either way, obviously Ubisoft had much to celebrate, like I said. Uh, Last week we were talking about their their great numbers that they did with Assassin's Creed, and the soon-to-be-discussed Assassin's Creed 4, which may come out late 2013, early 2014. Not only that, but they also are coming off the success of Just Dance 4, which also sold 8 million units. They're, they're really kicking ass. They got really good games out there. Far Cry 3, I played the demo. I really liked it. It's just a game that went under the radar of, with a lot of other titles, especially because my queue, not only on the Gamefly front, but just games that I'm playing at home is so full that I'll eventually get to Far Cry 3, maybe as a Gamefly queue review, and I'll share that my thoughts with you guys then. It's finally official. G4 is officially dead, and we got a date for it. That date will be April 22nd. The network will officially shut down and become the Esquire Network, which is being described as an upscale Bravo channel for men. Shows announced so far include Knife Fight, which is a a chef's competition show, and The Getaway, a celebrity travel show. Yeah, this is going to be good. And obviously you guys heard my phone, which I forgot to mute. I apologize. I'm sure that I will have to edit that out as the phone yells that I have a Twitter message. (laughs) This is what happens during live shows, folks. I forget to mute the phone and all kinds of craziness happens. But Block Talk Radio has been good. Cross your fingers that it remains as such for the remainder of the evening. Anyway, uh, big shout out to Josh Coleman who's just joining us in the Mixler chat. Uh, He just asked if he did miss wrestling. Yes, Josh, you did. Uh, Very short, not a very short segment, but a decently short segment this week on the wrestling front to answer your question in the Mixler chat. Switching gears back into the gaming news, for those of you that have Call of Duty Black Ops on the PS3 and you're pissed off that the 360 is getting all the DLC, well, fret no further because you'll be getting your first bit of DLC on February 28th. Obviously, Xbox 360 got their content late last month, but you'll be getting the Revolution DLC on February 28th, and also PC users will be able to enjoy that DLC as well. The content is going to give you guys four multiplayer maps, the new Zombies map and mode, and also the Peacekeeper weapon. So there you have it, PS3 players. You guys are no longer left out. PC gamers aren't left out either. One game that I've really, really been looking forward to and I'm bummed that it got pushed back is The Last of Us, especially with all the great video trailers that we've seen and all the hype and all the assets and stuff that people have been putting out with regards to it. 
I'm bummed because it's not no longer going to be coming out May 7th, but it's now going to be coming out June 14th. Um, obviously, Naughty Dog re- released a statement via the PlayStation blog, and they said that the delay is being done in order to meet internal standards. So there you have it. Obviously, whenever a game gets delayed, especially when you're super pumped for it, you you, you feel bummed. But you know what? If it's to give us a better product, I'll, I'll take the delay, especially with what I'm hearing with Aliens Colonial Marines, where it should have been delayed indefinitely because people are just pissed off about the game. You know what? I, I'm i not going to rush it. I'll, I'll pick up the game the 14th, but like I said, the guys that are playing Aliens, yeesh, they are not happy. As for me, I, I think I'll probably pick that up either if it's a, on sale at some point or I'll get it as a, a Gamefly Q game only because we did not get a review copy so either way, it's on the list of games to play, and I want to see if it's as bad as people say because everybody has their own standards, and not for nothing, the game industry has become an industry of people that think that it's just cool to hate everything. So I'm sure it probably has some stuff that they don't like, but you know, it, it can't be that terrible. I've played terrible games, and it's got to have some redeeming qualities. But like I said, everyone's entitled to their opinion, and I will share mine when I get the game, like I said, either I'll, I'll pick it up through Gamefly or I'll buy it. I'm not dropping 60 bucks on it because I've realized that I'm only going to pay the 60 buck price for a game that I really, 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 really want to play. Um, worst case, possibly a rental. Maybe, like I said, if it's on sale. I just got word that Slick's on the line. I'm sure he has some wisdom to share with us with regards to that. So let's bring him in. Slick, what's going on, dude? What's up? I don't know. You tell me, man. Did um, you go and pick up aliens? No, but um, if, if it, I was talking to me about it yesterday. He's literally been waiting for this game for a good 15 plus years. Right. And what we saw in E3 last year, or was it two years ago? Anyway, the demo they had where you were um, walking the um, the connection between the the, the, um, the ships, the Stromo, and there was the the, um, the depressurization where you see all the bodies flying out, and then from that where you see like the first aliens attacks. That looks fantastic, and now they like they have people who've done videos on YouTube which show. The original demo we saw in the final product, which does have the same gameplay elements, but the difference in the quality is just staggering. Like, you've seen the commercials. The commercials look insane. The commercials look great. The game looks nothing like that. Jeez. Like, you might see, you might experience the same action. But the actual game visually, even on PC, which always looks better than consoles, to to quote the guy that the, the British guy I saw on YouTube, it looks like Torah from the N sixty four. Wow! Holy shit! Yeah, it looks that bad by comparison. I'm not saying it looks. It, it doesn't look like terrible. I mean, it's just that. Considering even even not even PC because this was the PC version we were looking at, and you can look it up on YouTube. But even on consoles, like 
on the Xbox 360, they're like, forget it. Don't even touch it. But well, it's just, you put all this time, all this effort, and all this hype into this game. And even if the game, because they didn't say too much about the gameplay. They didn't say the gameplay was bad. But this is one of those instances where the graphical quality, considering what you have to work with, it's unforgivable. Well, there's a there's a couple of things that I, that I'm gonna I'm gonna touch on. Obviously, Gearbox, they you know they did Borderlands, and I think that what happened was that they were working on Borderlands. They were probably working on Aliens. And they didn't realize that Borderlands was going to take off the way it did. So priorities were shifted towards the IP that was already established being Borderlands. And obviously Aliens kind of suffered for it. That, again, that's, that's, my, uh, that's my opinion on it. Whether that's true or not, I'm not sure. But how many times have we seen that sometimes where, where a company is known for, for putting out quality games and they're working on two or three great titles and one of the titles gets released and it's just not good. It's happened. It happens all the time, but I will say this. The, the fact is with aliens and, and this is something that is, it's just with gaming in general and you may agree, you may disagree. And I'm, and I've said this before gamers have become way too fucking pampered and they've also become way too expectant to the point where the slightest imperfection pisses them off. Again, I'm not saying that the game is bad or it looks like garbage because the general consensus is the game is crap. And I've seen it on the Metacritic scores. But the fact is, dude, in the old days, we just in, in the old days, we just played games and we'd get credits. We didn't really f- stress about graphics because we enjoyed the games. You know what I mean? Like that's the craziest thing. Think about think about playing Battle Arena to Shinden on PlayStation One, and playing, you know, Super Street Fighter Four Arcade Edition now. It's come a long way, but the enjoyment is still there for various people. Dude, I'll, I'll turn on my PS2 and play, you know, Street Fighter EX Plus Alpha. It's not the most beautiful graphic, you know. It's not the the most graphically attractive game. But it's an enjoyable game nonetheless. And there really has to be some enjoyment in that game. That game cannot be that bad. That's what I'm saying. Like, people don't people have expectations and the game didn't live up to it. Oh, okay, I understand. But the game can't be that bad. You get what I'm saying? I follow what you're saying. And me, personally, I... Um, I... I'm not somebody who plays the Aliens games that much. I think the last Alien game I played was Alien 3 on the Super Nintendo. Oh, man. For me, it was Aliens vs. Predator Arcade by Capcom. But the thing is, and I'm one of the biggest proponents of the most important thing about a game is the gameplay. And actually, the same video that I was talking about, I wish I had a link, um... If I find it, I'll put it in the chat. Is that they they even discuss the gameplay? Like there are differences, huge differences in the gameplay. One thing I do recall, there's a scene where um, the Marines are supposed to be setting up a defensive perimeter. There's like this hallway, and you know it's it's taking from the the second movie as well. 
there's there's a hallway where like you have to defend it. You're supposed to set up an automatic turret, and there's supposed to be a couple of marines with you. And in the demo version, they they showed that like there were just scores and scores of xenomorphs coming at you, and you the, the turret of course was helping, but you had to do work yourself. You had to keep them at bay. When you find the final product, again, like I said, that that actual point in the game is there. You do put the turret there, but there is no other marine helping you. And ultimately, there's like really no aliens coming down the corridor. So that whole expected element of the game is really not there. Yeah, so the element of fear. There are dips in the gameplay, and the thing is, again, like I said, I'm one of the biggest proponents that gameplay is more important than graphics. Right. But when you have a demo that's like two years old that looks just spectacular, the game is supposed to go forward from that, not backwards. Plus, you have this commercial that's on TV right now. Like, if I turned on Adult Swim right now, I'd probably see it during the commercials. And granted, they're probably showing you a cutscene, and but some of it is supposed to be gameplay action, and you see production values where it looks, it literally looks like the movies or better. And you know that between the consoles and definitely the PCs, that the systems are capable of producing that kind of quality, and it looks nowhere near that. No, and I, and and you know, I that, that, I mean that's a reason to be pissed, especially if you're a, a huge fan of that series. And I and I and I'm not uh, in Ant's case, and guys that are diehard fans of just aliens, whether it's the books and all that stuff. I I understand that frustration, and it's warranted. But I'm sure. That in Ant's case, he has disappoint. He's frustrated and he's angry, but I'm sure he has one or two good things to say about the game. Whether it's you know the the stuff that the the the, the giveaways he got or whatever, but there's got to be some redeeming value. Like for a game to be complete trash, the problem is like I said, people look at it from a broad stroke approach, and I'm not talking about just gamers outside of the industry because whatever outside of the industry you don't have nobody to answer to but i've i've read some of those reviews on metacritic and some of these sites and it's like yo how do you sit there and just enjoy a game you know uh, play a game and review it and not find the the slightest modicum of enjoyment out of it i'm sorry dude but even a shitty game has some redeeming qualities i played supremacy mma a game that i expected to be Super awesome when I talked about it way back when. Did it deliver? No, it didn't. Did it have some cool graphics when you broke somebody's leg? Yeah. Was was the gameplay great? Yeah, not really. But again, there is something about the game that I enjoyed. For me to give a game, for for me to give a game, let let's let's look at this. When you did your review for 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 Trailer Park, people saw the score you gave that game. Let's be real. You gave the game a fucking... What'd you give it? A one? One star. You gave it one star. And whether whether you thought the game was a complete steaming pile of garbage, you found something redeeming about it. 
You get what I'm saying? Like you, like you still had, you still looked at the brighter side of the game, good, bad, or otherwise. And that's what I'm saying. And I stress that not so much with the guys like Ant, you know, that are fans, but I stress that with the people that cover this shit, you know. But also, you gotta remember again. I mean, those are two different types of games. And with with Alien specifically, again, with the the kind of console processing power you have right now, one of the things that's going to make the game great in this specific instance are the visuals. Because I mean, they did this whole big production of, of course, being able to play as the Marines or being able to play as different types of aliens. Right. And the different aliens had different um, ways of killing. And, of course, there's a standard second mouth. Then you had, like, I remember there was, like, this alien that has, like, acid sacks on his head, and it was, like, a spitter. And the point of it, you know, it could, of course, kill in its own, but the point of it was to, like, you know, spit on Marines so that other aliens could take them down because either they couldn't see or it would disable their weaponry, whatever the acid hit. And if you actually killed it and you're too close, the acid would explode on you. These are things that require, you know, high-quality visuals. No, and I, and, and I agree and with you. If you don't have that, it's gonna, it is going to affect the experience of the game. Right, but you know what, you know what the problem is? Like I said, I have, I have a nagging suspicion that Gearbox was ready to rock and roll and they were and they put this trailer out and people went crazy for it and then Borderlands happened. <laughs> I'm telling you because to depart that far away from from a from a you know from a presentation piece to make a game that looks the, the polar opposite it's it's just weird. It's just weird and something bigger had to have happened to cause that. And that like I said that's what I feel was was the reasoning behind it. Borderlands just blew up to the point where it became something completely, completely huge that they probably didn't expect. They probably expected the game to have modest success, but they didn't expect it to get the success that it got. You know what I mean? Like, you know, sometimes you put out a game and a game is good and you know the game's going to sell some units, but you don't expect the game to be you know, develop a rabid fan base and people be talking about it and all this stuff. You know, that that's what... That's what developers want, but a lot of them go in there with a tepid response, like, "All right, we'll see how it goes, and then if it get if it does good, then we'll take it from there." I just feel that if the game wasn't ready, it shouldn't have come out this week. I agree. It should have come out later this year. I agree a hundred percent. If you couldn't, if you couldn't get the the standards up to par to reflect what you showed gamers initially, you should have said, "Listen, we're not going to go gold yet." Because we're just not happy. Not only that, but not for nothing. You guys, gamer de- game developers have focus groups. You mean to tell me you didn't get some seasoned gamers in there to play that game and tell you, hey, this game looks like shit? You're joking. It's impossible. You mean to tell me that if you sat in that in, in, a, in a beta test, or I, excuse me, or I sat in a beta test, and the game looked like what people are saying, you wouldn't say, hey, guys, you know, this doesn't look that good. Well, either they didn't do that, or they did it and they ignored it. Well, one thing I've but, learned... I mean, even, even if you didn't do that, I mean, a game developer themselves can say, 
this really doesn't look that good. I mean, it doesn't look like what we show people. I mean, the people are not blind, obviously, if they're developing a visual media. Right. But you also got to take it to account. Have you ever seen, and, and I'm sure you have, instances where they'll, they're going to get ready to release a movie in theaters and they never screen it to critics? I bet you that they maybe they did that. Maybe 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 they they didn't bother screening the game for for you know uh, reviewers to try because even even the guys that get games for free that beat people over the head and and, and I got to put a, some people on blast just you know you guys you go you just because you take a little WordPress theme that you buy for 10 bucks and you throw it together and you con some PR person to give you the game and you get it for free, and you still think that the game sucks, seriously, something wrong with you. Your site is built with crayons and an Etch-A-Sketch. With, with one navigational button, no email address, and you don't even have social media plugins. And you, you, you have the gall to go, oh, this game completely sucks. But your site, your site looks like something that a kindergartner would draw with a backwards R. Wow. And it's funny because Josh in the, you know, Josh Coleman in the chat from the T4 show with Michael Manna, he said that a lot of reviewers didn't get a copy of this game till last Friday. So clearly something was going on. Because you're giving, if the game came out Tuesday and people got their review copies Friday, what does that tell you? That the game wasn't ready. <laughs> the game, the game, the game was the furthest thing from ready. They should have just, they should have just released the 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 Aliens versus Predator arcade game on Xbox Live from Capcom, and it probably would have done better. Shit, I still play that. That's the thing. I mean, that almost looks better at this point. Dude, I don't know, man. Like I said, I think I think Gearbox just wasn't ready for the success of Borderlands, and then they kind of just focused all their energies on that, and it and Aliens fell through the cracks, and they're like, oh, it's ready. Like, no. No, it's not ready. It's not. But like I said, there was no I control. I the success of Borderlands when they've had two games already. But that, no, what I'm saying is that Borderlands, like the development of Aliens Colonial Marines has been ongoing for a while. But you got to remember Borderlands got super popular, two dropped. And then, you know, they probably they probably jumped into, you know, they were so they were working on two to make two awesome. And then they're like, "Oh shit, we got to put Aliens out." Damn. Then again, push that shit back. Yep. I agree with what Josh said, he's like, I'm going to wait till it drops in price and then pick it up and just play co-op with my boy. I'll probably pick it up, dude. And, you know, I'll either review it for a, a Gamefly Q review or whatever, but it's it, it can't be that bad. Like I said, you want to... That's the thing. That's a game that's specifically, you know, you want to have a good online multiplayer experience. Hell yeah. Actually, I'm going to let you finish, but I want to go on to something else that I, I read about earlier this week. Good. I'm going to let you finish, but Beyonce had the greatest single of all time. <laughs> is that, is, nah, 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 but, but seriously, like multiplayer, come on, we're going to die here, man. We're going to die. Come on. That's what you want. You want that. I want to play as, 
as Vasquez with her broken Spanish and her bad English. That's what I want to do, but I, I didn't even get that. They're like, oh, yeah, you know, you buy the pre-order, then you get the skins for the characters in the game. I'm like, oh, that's great. Once again, the bait and switch. Oh, you want to play as the, as, the, as the movie characters? Yeah, just come on in and pre-order. I got to admit, though, the power loader statue was kind of badass, though. <laughs> oh, absolutely. That, 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 was a nice, that was a nice packing, dude. Regardless if the game is rated a 6 or, or, or a 60, it's, it was, it was a, a badass packing. Right up there with the Connor statue from Assassin's Creed, which, by the way, if anybody wants to pick one up for a decent price, Target had them on clearance. Best Buy does, too. There you go. So what do you got? But, um, no, um, because you were talking about a game that really does need a good online multiplayer experience. And then there's a game that I'm personally looking forward to that completely doesn't need an online multiplayer experience. But it's getting one anyway. Which is? And that game would be the upcoming Tomb Raider game. Ah, yes. You're right. And as I'm saying this, I, I did find the the link to the, uh, I didn't find the video yet. I'm still looking for it. But with the Tomb Raider game, granted, this is supposed to be a, a literally a reboot of the franchise, a retelling of the story. This is Lara Croft before she was the quote-unquote Tomb Raider. And her first adventure, which, you know, she wasn't wasn't really looking for. And there's a whole set of, of multiplayer modes. And people who are really looking forward to the game, myself included, are like, what the fuck are you doing this for? I honestly... Nobody who is a, a hardcore Tomb Raider fan gives half a shit about multiplayer. That's what I was about to say. Tomb has never been a multiplayer game. That's right. It's like, does your multiplayer have a bunch of Lara Croft running around shooting each other? And the answer is no. Well, it was funny because somebody, somebody said on Twitter this afternoon, damn, I don't know what system to get Tomb Raider on. And you know what I said to myself? PS3 game. You want to know why? Exactly. Because that's not that's not multiplayer. I mean, maybe they'll do a good job with it, like they did with Uncharted. But you play Tomb Raider for the game, you know? Like you play it. Like like don't get me wrong. I'm sure I'm sure there were guys that played it so that they could you know take the Jergens after the game was over. But I'm talking about people play the game and you're playing the game to go through the campaign as Lara Croft. You don't care about Lara Croft and you know Bob Smith, her tour guide. Who gives a shit about that guy. Beat him to the wolves. You know? And it's crazy. And, and like, they had an interview on, um, what was it? Xbox360Achievements.org, I think. And, like, they interviewed uh, Crystal Dynamics and Square Enix, and they're like, no, seriously, why? Because in, before they before they asked that, they had the chance to actually sit down with the multiplayer version of the game, and they're like, having played it and having played it 
at length with, you know, a good group of people. Like, why? Like, this serves no purpose in a two-rated game. And if it winds up taken away from the game, you know, people are going to be really pissed off. Because, again, I mean, we we got this fantastic um, trailer for the game that shows, you know, Lara hanging upside down, almost setting herself on fire, stabbing herself on the fall, you know, doing the, the Indiana Jones running from falling rocks and shit. And, you know trying to keep from <laughs> trying to keep from getting felt up by pedal bear. Dude. And it's like <laughs> I mean it is what it is. In this game she's only she's like barely eighteen. So yeah, trying to keep from getting felt up by pedal bear. Yeah, well well you know what's funny and, about um, that? Go ahead. It's like why do you have this multiplayer in here? They they played it and they're like there's nothing special about this multiplayer. There's nothing that's going to set it apart from the Gears of War or the Halos or the Call of Duties or anything like that. It's like, and the worst part is, it's like they have the, the basically the team deathmatch, which is like the survivors versus the, the scavengers. And it's like, there's really no no way for the survivors to win other than the fact that, you know, when you when you shoot a, a survivor and they go down, you have to go up to them and literally finish them off and they can still shoot from the down position. But it's like the scavengers can just wait at the place where the, the survivors have to go and pick them off. So it's like, they're, they're like there's nothing that's really going to... With the game, game was still a month away. There's nothing that's going to say, oh, man, I can't wait to get into that multiplayer. It's like people are going to play the single-player campaign and, like, be one and done. And only the achievement whores are going to give a shit about the multiplayer because there's about a quarter of the game's achievements that require you to play the multiplayer. Dude, whenever I think of Tomb Raider and... Opie and Anthony fans are going to appreciate this because I love ONA. This is what comes to mind. And just listen so you can laugh. Uh-oh. Trekking through the Himalayas is quite exhausting. But the views are breathtaking. So tired. So famished. Great Scott. My Sherpa has collapsed. Ramon... Fillet this Chinaman. <laughs> Dude, that's that's all that comes to mind. That's all that comes to mind with Tomb Raider. Nothing. There's nothing else about it, dude. It's like Lara Croft in the winter. Lara Croft swimming underwater. Lara Croft shooting at wolves. Lara Croft riding on a sled while an avalanche is happening behind her. Lara Croft with collagen lips. Oh, wait, that's Angelina Jolie. That's it, dude. There's no multiplayer that I give a damn about with Lara Croft. Who cares? Who gives a shit? And I love all these 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 quasi web dudes. Oh my god, Tomb Raider's getting multiplayer. Shut up! Shut up! You don't give two shits about it. 
I want Lara Croft to have a a piece of jagged rock stuck in her leg, and 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 her health is depleting, and you got to pull it out and do first aid on the side of a mountain with dog shit and leaves. Basically, that's that's what I want to see. Like, you want to give me a, a gritty survivalist Indiana Jones adventure? Give me that. But don't pray to don't paint a pretty picture and dangle a little sexuality there for those guys that that you know that that are that have dates tonight with their hands and and just just give me a game I can play. Give me what Drake is. But with Lara, that's it. Don't give me all this extra craziness that I don't need. Why do we always need multiplayer on games that don't really need it? That's like a crutch. But pre-order the game now to get the skin of Lara's butler and her father. Possibly her grandmother in the wheelchair with the shotgun accessory. Come on. Stop it. Just put the regular game out. If it's good, people are going to play it. You want to extend the shelf life? Release levels. That's it. Unnecessary forked multiplayer is, is, the, is the bane of, of really good single player games. Simple as that. Like I said, if it, if it wanted to take it away from the main game, I'll be very upset. Seriously. It's like, to all the two Mata fans out there, if you ever wanted any multiplayer, my advice to you is to go play Uncharted 2 and 3. That's it. I like... Because there's still a large online community playing that game online. Yep. And let's face it, Uncharted is two Mata with dick and balls. That's and it. That's it. That, but that's what I. That's what I'm saying. Like, like, you know, to to reference what what Josh said in the chat. He said it. He's like, you know, hopefully this tumor is going to be like uncharted, and that's what I want. You know, because that's what Lara Croft set was the blueprint for that. So if anybody should get that, exactly. it's her character. But this whole big multiplayer thing, like you said, if the if the focus on multiplayer detracts from the single player experience nobody's people are going to be pissed because that's the backbone of the game. It's that single player narrative, that story. That's what gets you engaged. That's what sucks you in. Think about it. You're, 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 you know, you're trudging through the Himalayas, you know, you want to do that. You want to do that. You want to, you want to try and survive. You want to try and, you know, have build a fire mini game in a cave. And not get, and you know, maybe kill a bear that's in the cave so you can so you can sleep. But that's what I mean. Like, give us, give us, give us detail. Give us depth. You know, don't give us just a a, a, a passable single player campaign wrapped around the 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 beautiful wrapper of multiplayer because that's not what it's about. It's not. Yeah, because two clawed its way out of its freaking literally. No joke, out of a tomb with um, Tomb Raider Legend. I was so happy that the game, you know, had come back and was good again. Because he didn't really go down. Oh, that was the other thing about Aliens, Colonial Marines, about the graphics. It's like, your character can walk into other characters and you can see inside their heads. Yes! And that's, that's graphics that I hadn't seen so poorly since one of the, literally since one of the old Tomb Raider games. That's the last time I saw something that bad. And I, I put up the um, the link in the 
Blog Talk Radio Show. Just share it with the other chat so that people can see it. It's a YouTube video called What the Hell Happened to Aliens Colonial Marines. <laughs> there you go. And, like, they show you, they show you the demo and the final game, the exact same scenes, you know, not side by side, but, you know, one after the other, and you'll see just how bad it is. Ridiculous. Well, while I got you here, I want to go through the MPD numbers with you because you always you always have some, some great input for that. So, obviously, January, post-holiday, everybody has gift cards, nobody's broke. So, you know, shit's going to get bought that doesn't need to get bought. <laughs> but here's here's the shocker. Obviously, number one selling game for January, Black Ops 2. Gee, everybody had gift cards. Followed by Far Cry 3, then Just Dance 4. NBA 2K13, Madden, NFL 13, that Madden, because like I said, gift cards, ladies and gentlemen. And not only that, but hell, it's football season. Lastly, Devil May Cry in the number six slot. Halo 4, Assassin's Creed 3, Skylander Giants, and FIFA Soccer. Now, here's the crazy thing. Video game sales retail retail numbers came in at $834 million. It's a 9% increase from January's performance of 2011. But you also got to take into consideration Janu- 2013 January is five weeks as opposed to four for calculation purposes. So there, there, there was a little bit of a skew there. As usual, Xbox 360 ran away with the best-selling piece of overall hardware, um, January was the console's 25th month as the leading console. Damn. Yeah, that. What does that tell you? Accessories saw a large, a large sale. You know, a large bump, obviously, because like I said, gift cards. People had wanted to buy controllers and headsets and all that. Uh, 256.6 million dollars in January versus 198 million from last year. So, but software didn't go up as much only you know it went 373 which is only one percent above last year's earnings in 2011 so based off that what does that tell you it tells you that the games that are being put out there just aren't grabbing people as much people are investing more money in and they're actually being more frugal with what they're buying how long has madden been out that it's still still top five in January. That's a shocker. Seriously. You know, Madden, Halo 4. Halo 4, dude. Still in the top 10. I'm surprised Skylanders didn't do better. And what I'd be interested in seeing is if there's any way to get the numbers, like the sales numbers, combining the actual disc sale. Along with the um, with the toys, the, 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 yeah, the figure sales because you got to buy the toys to play the game. I, it's like you can buy them individually, they are sets. I'd love to see and that actually. Numbers as well. I'd love to see that metric because you you bring up a valid point. A lot of games you, you you're buying them, especially in Skylanders, because you're implementing a lot of that into the game, especially when when you got kids. And they want, you know, like my my boss, his his kids love Skylanders. And he said he goes for Christmas and, you know, they celebrate Christmas and Hanukkah. He's like, for both holidays, it was just Skylanders out the ass. 
He goes, I went and bought them everywhere. Single ones, multi-packs. And then now they're doing one where you can mix and match like the top half of one monster with the bottom half of another. So, you know, that's going to open up a brand new level of, uh, you know, a brand new level of possibilities with regards to that game. Now, what I'd like to see, and supposedly the Wii U has this functionality, is have that with Pokemon. You buy the toys in the store. No, 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 no. Why not? No. No. Come on. Dude, there's currently over 600 Pokemon. Fuck it! Pokemon XY is going to put it probably at 800. Ah. And think about it. They're going to charge at their minimum like five bucks a Pokemon if they did that shit. Then release a box set. Release box sets with the elements. Fire type box set. Hell, motherfucking no. Come on, man. Nintendo I mean, needs something. Nintendo needs something. Nintendo don't need shit. <laughs> when that game drops on 3DS this year, it'll be gangbusters enough. <laughs> it's freaking 3D Pokemon. The game already looks good. No. You know what I thought when of? You get two games at $34.99 a pop. Where between the two, you can get most of, if not all of them. And the only ones you can't get are the, you know, like maybe 10 special ones that are giveaways. And that's it. If you want to do some kind of crazy thing later with the with the Wii U, maybe. Well, I got... So that thing is, is compatible with the 3DS game. Dude, I got a, a an awesome idea. But this would involve Nintendo, you know, doing something they don't do. And that's putting their product someplace else. Check this out. And make note of this today at 12.45 on February 15th, 2013, this idea. Because if it ever gets done, uh, we're getting fucking paid. Think about this. Remember remember Pokemon Snap? You remember that, right? Imagine releasing Pokemon Snap for mobile phones as an augmented reality device where you can take a photo of a bush... And there might be a Pokemon hiding in there, and tie it into like Instagram. But you already said that before. I did. The, the 3DS has a camera. Oh and yeah. It has an augmented reality game where like you yeah, can but, look around and you find shit. Right, but but for the 3DS, but I'm th- I'm talking about mobile. Imagine putting Pokemon Snap on mobile. Like you know what's crazy? What I downloaded today. Remember Tamagotchi. They put that on Android, and I was so intrigued to look at it that I downloaded it. And it was such a trip down memory lane. I'm sure I'll kill that thing by tomorrow. It'll be dead by tomorrow. But that's what I'm saying. Like, like think of that. Like, they like they put out Tamagotchi. People were downloading it. I know a couple people like, oh, shit, you know, and they, they went and they downloaded it for nostalgia purposes. But think about it. You put, you take that. Think about the fact that Nintendo can automatically get a product in everyone's hands with minimal effort. Everyone has either an iOS or an Android device. You put the game out for two bucks. No, and the reason why I say no is because they already have that capability with the 3DS. Oh, yeah. The 3DS has the AR capability. Oh, I'm not... Plus, the 3DS has the Street Pass. Oh, I'm not saying... Go ahead. 
all that it really needs to do is enable, like, the AR where, like, you can have kids walking around and, like, hunting some new Pokemon as, like, they walk around with their parents, which, you know, you see kids walking around playing with you know, it's just looking where the hell it's supposed to be going anyway. And that combined with the street pass, let's say I have my DS and I pass some, somebody else that has a DS. Like, with this, the DS doesn't even have to be on if you have the street pass activated. I pass, and now all of a sudden, Pokemon that are, are not exclusive to our version of the game have switched hands. Okay. So, I mean, between that, like, if I found something new for my game and the other person doesn't have that, all of a sudden, that creature is available in their game. I mean, that that would be great right there, because the DS already, 3DS, excuse me, already employs features where you're walking past people, you don't know, you don't have no idea that they even have a 3DS, and the next time you turn your 3DS on, oh shit, I got something new. No, it I, already does that. No, I, I understand that, but what I was saying was just giving Nintendo an outlet to get saturation outside of the devices they have, because it's true. The 3DS has made a, a, a huge case for itself now, in terms of the games that they're putting out and stuff, but Nintendo is still mired in the fact that they, they, they're they not looking beyond their own hardware. You get what I'm saying? And what I'm what, the way I look at it is, and, and you know we've talked about this at length, Nintendo has way too many franchises and way too many little things that they, that they really should be taking advantage of the mobile market. Yeah, I agree. Everybody has a 3DS and it's out there and you can do the street pass and the augmented reality and and you're right. But for some reason, I just have always felt that Nintendo can benefit from a mobile presence. I'm not saying put out games that will cannibalize the 3DS or the Wii U, but I'm just thinking about games that you can put out there that are small, microscopic, that you can put out there for one or two dollars. You know how many people I know that need to do with the mobile market? Go ahead. I'm sorry to cut you. It is what one thing that people actually have asked for. Give fans back something that they wanted because when <clears throat> Hard Gold and Soul Silver for Pokemon came out, they had this little add-on called the Pokewalker. Oh yeah, it, it you were using really, that. Really, really handy because people were giving Pokemon that they normally couldn't. If you give a Pokewalker app for Android and, and um, iOS. It would be over, dude. I mean, these games have... These, these phones do have predominant functions in them. Yep. And, you know... It would be over, dude. You know, exactly. That's what Make I'm saying. Buck ninety nine or even two ninety nine if you want. Everybody is fucking buy it. Dude, you put the Poker Walker in there. Not only are you promoting the product, but you're promoting fitness. Exactly. It's a it's no-brainer. It it's a no-brainer, and it would work. I think it it would work for for that reason, and not only that, but it would just allow Nintendo to utilize that market. Because again, you can say, "Oh, well, you know, Xbox should put stuff on Windows Mobile." I understand that, but Nintendo's characters and the way that their universe is set up, just it, it it's it's tailor-made for mobile. You know, like remember, like the old arcade Super Mario Brothers. You know, where you got to clear out and throw the shells and stuff with Mario and Luigi. You can do that on a mobile. You know, do that. 
Maybe just an old retro Donkey Kong for a dollar fifty. It would sell. And that way people wouldn't have to go and buy the bootleg, you know, Super Plumber 3 from the Android market. Because you know that shit is there. Super Plumber 3 or Monkey Barrel Jump. <laughs> oh, dude. This it, is it, what Nintendo should do. Aside from what I already said with the Pokewalker. Set up a, a Nintendo store where people have an option. Like, you could buy let's say, Super Mario Brothers for 99 cents on your phone or something like that. Or, again, with the fitness, you could run, let's say, I don't know, 50,000 steps, which gets you enough coinage to just get the game for free. Ah, very nice. That that would work. Lazy motherfuckers can pay the money. Which is going to make more money for Nintendo. Right. You have to pay to get the app initially, which is more money for Nintendo. And once you buy the app, you could potentially get these games for free. You just have to exercise. I think that's a fantastic idea. It works for me, dude. See? They should they should listen to us. Give us your money, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there you go. Are hey, you are you picking to the show, which we know you are? Are mean, you? You definitely need this app, so you can make your chin smaller. There you go. Are you picking up Metal Gear next week? No, and only because like I'm I'm not a, a like one of the hardcore Metal Gear fans. It's like I'm one of those people who doesn't like to jump into a game like in the fourth installment or something, so ah, okay. I have to play all the games before, and I, I have it, so I would not be doing that. I would maybe get, like, a combo pack if it comes out later. Okay. But, I mean, I've seen the commercials. It's looking good. Let's hope it doesn't... I mean, it's Kojima. The likelihood that it would suffer from an alien colonial syndrome is very unlikely. But the biggest likelihood is that... uh once I hit start, I can put my controller down for about 30 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, make a snatch. <laughs> leave leave poor Hideo Kojima alone. Leave that poor bastard alone. I will tell you this. I did capture some video from the demo, which I may put up. I mean, I may just wait and capture video from the game and use that. But we'll see. I'm actually looking forward to it because I just want to dice people up in really fun and creative ways. But that's just because I'm a sicko and a psychopath. But that's just me. I just think he needs to make movies because it really seems like that's what he wants to do. You never know, man. A Metal Gear movie could could happen sooner rather than later. You know that. I mean, it would make a good, you know, it could make a good couple of movies. I think so. Yes. I mean, people will go see it just on the possibility that Gee, maybe I'll finally understand what the fuck is going on in Little Gear. Here, here's one. Even the hardcore of hardcore fans, at the end of the day, they try to ask themselves, what the fuck did I just look at? Answer me this. Live action Metal Gear movie or CGI? 
they probably do CGI. I would prefer if they did live action. Okay. So, real quick before we wrap up the segment, who would you? Who would be Snake? If if he if he'd be anybody if he would be anybody it would be Raiden or Raiden however you want to who would be Snake old Snake or young Snake well depends what about middle age Snake like Snake and Metal Gear with Liquid Snake that one um. Middle oh, aged snake. What's his name? What's his name? Do some taking. Oh, Liam Neeson? He'd probably be older snake. Liam Neeson would probably make a badass older snake. I have a very special set of skills. Exactly. Ah, Josh Coleman said Ewan McGregor. That's a word. Ewan McGregor would probably make a really good snake. As long as he doesn't, you know, as long as he hides that English accent. But yeah, Ewan McGregor would not be a bad snake. He'd probably have to spend like like two years in the gym, but it might work. You know, because it's not like when he was Obi-Wan and he had the, you know, he had the, the big burka on. <laughs> he had the Jedi burka. That's it. Yeah, Ewan McGregor would be a, a, a badass snake. I think that would that would be cool. There you go. Anything no, else you want to add? I like to see how they would. I would definitely like to see how they would make a, a live action Metal Gear, considering the amount of cut scenery that goes into the series. It would be very interesting. Well, you know what will happen? There'll be like a really long dialogue session, and then there'll be a flashing popcorn bag to tell you to get a refill of popcorn to come back. <laughs> and then there would be horrible outtakes on the Blu-ray where you see Channing Tatum running around holding his junk and flipping for like 20 minutes. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> the naked lazy outtakes only on the unrated version. Hey, man, whatever works. Anything else you want to add, I'm my friend? You yeah, I'm good, man. Well, you can find Slick on Twitter at slick mtr also make sure to comment on his articles or he will mtr slick i forgot quark is quark is quark is he's quark mtr and you are mtr slick so yeah follow him on twitter comment on his articles or he'll show up at your house with a hatchet some jergens and a leather mask and they're gonna be all for you not for him (laughs) the only way to stop me is with fried chicken that's it all right my dude I will catch you later. All right, man. Peace. Peace. All right. Well, that actually brings us to the uh, a nice fitting way to close out the gaming segment. Let's get into this week's entertainment news. Well, I want to start off with really, really unnecessary movie news. That's that's going to be a new a new category that we're going to use, unnecessary movie news. And I'll tell you guys why. 
According to the Hollywood Reporter, they want to create, get this, an animated adaptation of how the Grinch stole Christmas, similar to how they did with the Lorax for the big screen. Obviously, we already have an animated Grinch movie. And not only that, but we have the really, really amusing, super funny Jim Carrey Grinch movie. So do we really need an animated adaptation? No. Seriously, we don't. It's going to be something that, I mean, don't get me wrong. It'll probably make a, a shitload of money, especially if you release it in early November into Christmas. Yes, but it's unnecessary. It's just going to muddy the waters and take take people away from the classic that they should watch, which is the original animated one, which I watch religiously every year. And then I follow it up with the Jim Carrey one, which is just a, it's a guilty pleasure that amuses me on so many levels. Anyway, that is your unnecessary movie news of the week. Anyway, let's talk box office numbers, because I don't know what kind of crack was in the food last week. But it seems that Identity Thief was number one in the box office. Why? I don't know, because that movie looks like a steaming pile of shit. You could wrap Melissa McCarthy in bacon, chicken grease, and powdered sugar, and she would not be appealing to me in the least. I'm sorry. She plays the same character in every movie. She's like chubby Vince Vaughn. It's, it, it's, it sucks, but it's true. She plays this, it's like, I'm going to play the belligerent, obnoxious big girl. Because she's doing a new movie with Sandra Bullock, and what is she playing? The big, obnoxious, fat female cop. I'm sorry, I know that there was this whole big thing about a critic calling her fat and all this other stuff, and whatever. Say what you want to say, but the guy made a valid point. This chick has made a career, you know, she made a career of playing a, a... you know, a fat, belligerent chick. That's what it is. And then, you know, you, people get bent out of shape that people call her fat. But that's what she is. She, you can't say big-boned. If big-boned means looking like a wet bag of flour, then okay. That's your definition of big bone. but it's not. She's amusing. Not to take anything away from her. And again, this isn't, you know, before anybody says, oh, you know, Rich is making fun of fat people. No, I'm making fun of the fact that People assume that she's funny because she's fat. That's really what it is. She plays the same character. There's no range. It's like Vince Vaughn. He plays the same guy. He he plays a schlub. Don't even get me started with Owen Wilson. He plays the same hippie guy too. I watched him in, um, in the Western movie he did with Jackie Chan, where I just called Jackie Chan a sellout for 20 minutes when I was younger and that movie came out. And I just realized Owen Wilson is another one that plays the same fucking dude. Same dude. Waffles in the chat said that Jonah Hill falls in that cat in that category of people thinking he's he was funny because he was fat. Jonah Hill is very strange because he he's in a very weird place because he's not he was funny before, but he was like obnoxiously mean funny. And he knew how to acknowledge like his fatness in his comedy. So it's it's up it's open to interpretation, but I do understand what Waffles was saying because it is true that that's one way to look at it. I think in her case though, she really needs to do other things because playing the same big girl buddy comedy movie for her is just it just doesn't work. It really doesn't work. But I will say this: 
there were $36 million that validated number one box office credentials for it. So who am I to judge? Warm Bodies came in at number two. Side Effects came in at number three. Silver Linings Playbook came in at number four. Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters is holding on for dear life at number five. Mama was number six. Zero Dark Thirty was seven. Argo was eight. Django Unchained was nine. And Bullet to the Head was ten with a wonderful $8.2 million haul. I don't know what the hell is going on, but I'm hearing a lot of people in the chat saying that the uh, blog talk radio audio is shitty which should come as no surprise. Hopefully it'll fix itself. So I'm just going to power through it and uh, take it from there. The audio is dropping with every other word, according to slick. Well, we'll see if it fixes itself. I'm just going to keep it up and try and bang this out because we don't got much left. Anyway, it's, it's good that Josh Coleman brought up Ewan McGregor because he's actually in the news this week. He actually expressed interest in reprising his role as Obi-Wan Kenobi in an up, in any upcoming Star Wars film. He said on Twitter, I would definitely be up for it. I'd rather it ra- I'd rather I play Obi-Wan if they needed me to rather than someone else. But um it's crazy because obviously, you know, JJ Abrams got that episode 7 on tap and they're looking to do the spin-off movies as well. So you never know, we may get a separate Obi-Wan film and maybe you and McGregor can get a chance to uh don those Jedi robes and grab that lightsaber and hopefully entertain us and give us a little bit more of Obi-Wan. We'll see what the deal is with that. What the hell is going on? I got all these random beeps coming out of here. What is this? All right. (laughs) Slick says you sound like big pun after running the hundred yard dash. (laughs) I am sorry. I don't know what to do. It's not me. Whatever it is, is clearly blog talk radio, so I will address that with them with the call tomorrow. Anyway, let me try Let me try and finish this up. All right, Waffle says that it's working. Clearly, it's a BTR issue. Everybody on the Mixler side says that it sounds good. Anyway, jumping right back into it, everybody's been talking about Wolverine. You know, I've talked about the Wolverine movie, uh, the Wolverine sequel, excuse me, a couple of times. So we're actually going to get a first look at it in front of G.I. Joe Retaliation, which comes out March 29th. So we'll be able to get a little teaser for Wolverine then. So I'm really looking forward to a Wolverine in Japan, Killing Ninjas, super pumped. Not only that, but of course, Wolverine will be in X-Men Days of the Future Past, which is our next bit of news. Uh, Tyrion Lannister's um, Peter Dinklage from Game of Thrones will be playing, well, he was cast for X-Men Days of the Future Past, which I shared on our fan page, courtesy of Collider. Now, when I heard it, I thought he was going to play Puck from Alpha Flight. Super pumped. I thought, hey, that'd be kind of cool. He's a shoo-in. Now I'm hearing that he is not going to play Puck, but he's actually going to play a villain in the film. Excuse me. There's a couple of ways it can go. You can you can add a, a brand new character for him. Some people are saying that he might be playing Mr. Sinister, which I don't know how that would work unless they use, you know, CGI for him to play Mr. Sinister, but I don't know. I actually thought he was going to play Puck, man. I was pumped. We got to, maybe we'd see some alpha flight and that would be awesome. But turns out that's not the case from what, from what it appears he's going to be playing a villain according to variety. Anyway, the, the cool thing is we're going to be seeing 
you know, a lot of the returning cast from the original films, you know, Hugh Jackman, Ian McKellen, Patrick Stewart, but we're also going to get cast members from the new film, you know, James McAvoy, Jennifer Lawrence, Michael Fassbender, Nicholas Holt, Anna Paquin's coming back, Ellen Page is coming back, and Sean Ashmore is coming back amongst all the other characters. So I'm actually really looking forward to this to see how they're going to bring all of that together. Plus, I really, really, really want to see Sentinels on screen. Either way, I got to wait till July 18th, 2014 to figure out what the hell is going on. Hopefully by before then, we'll find out who exactly Peter Dinklage is playing. I will keep you guys posted. So the next bit of news, and it's going to be the last bit of news for our, you know, for our movie segment. (laughs) Josh Coleman says Peter Dinklage should be Wolverine. If anybody should be Wolverine, it should have been the late Chris Benoit. He was short. He was Canadian, and he pretty much looked like Wolverine when he grew out his facial hair. Yes, the guy killed his family, I know. Don't, don't, I'm just saying fan casting. Chris Benoit was the human equivalent of Wolverine. He was. Little, belligerent, Canadian, you guys know the deal. Anyway, let me me not go off on a tangent. So this next bit of news I want to talk about is, it's, it's going to be spoiler worthy. So I'm going to tell you guys now, it involves, it, it's in regards to Fast and Furious 6. And this is courtesy of Ain't It Cool News and Geek Tyrant. So I'm going to tell you guys, if you guys don't want this to be spoiled, I recommend you either fast forward or you mute the, mute the phone, whatever you're doing to listen to the show so it's not spoiled. Anyway, according to Ain't It Cool News, they're saying that at the end of Fast and Furious 6, you know, the crew dispatches Luke Evans, Owen Shaw, They earn their full pardons, enabling them to return to their lives back home. You know, Dom, uh, Brian, and Letty. Anyway, so after the credits, they're going to use the same thing they used in Fast Five with Letty, but they're going to show a pair of hands on a steering wheel with um, Japanese, with someone screaming in Japanese on a police scanner. You're going to end up seeing Han in the car, and it's going to have a a Mazda RX-7 and a gray Nissan 350 and a souped-up Mercedes. One of the drivers is going to be monitoring the chase while it's going on, and the and a mystery driver is going to get out of the vehicle, and it's going to be, get this, Jason Statham. That's what they're saying. Jason Statham will be playing Owen Shaw's older brother, Ian. So... Very, very interesting. So based on how this is going to go down, it looks like the next set of the next part of the series is going to fall in line with Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift. So very, very, very interesting how they're going to do that. Anyway, again, this is this is courtesy of Ain't It Cool News and Geek Tyrant. I don't know how legit it is, but if it is true, I apologize for spoiling it for you guys. Some people are saying Expendables Cars Edition. I don't know. I mean, the Fast and Furious movies, have they've really done something unique. And some people are going to agree or disagree or disagree with what I'm about to say. But think about it. You went from car porn to a heist film to, you know, a, a crime thriller with cars. It, it's, it's really just developed in such a way that they add new layers to the story but still keep the car element in there. Obviously, they don't make it just drag racing, which is fun. Don't get me wrong. It's kind of fun with scantily clad girls and 
and reggaeton blasting and you get to see, you know, some some chick's ass in Brazil. You you guys know the deal. You guys have seen Fast and Furious. You got to throw the, the scantily clad girls in there and the occasional races and, you know, car porn. But what I'm saying is that the movie has just evolved in such a way that it kind of reinvents itself with each one. Because like I said, we went from from a heist movie and, and car races in Fast 1. Then we went to um, a little bit of action with some races in fast in Too Fast, Too Furious. Then we went into, you know, race relations and kind of deeper story in, in in Tokyo Drift. Then we came back full circle and made it a heist movie. So they've they've really done a lot of stuff and and they've made sure to keep the gratuitous car porn in there. But like I said, the the overall progression of the stories just added so many other layers that it's not just a car movie anymore. Now, in terms of just making people stay after the credits and kind of fleshing out the story, I like that because it kind of allows other characters the chance to expand the series. Think about it. Eventually, Dom's character, Vin Diesel, one day he may not want to do it or Paul Walker may not want to do it. So you have other characters that can keep the series alive. You know, Michelle Rodriguez, she could do it for a payday. Maybe Sung Kang, if you want to kind of keep it going with that, or Ludacris, et cetera, et cetera, or even The Rock. You know, you can have a lot of fun with The Rock's character and kind of just make it about Hobbs and him trying to go after street racers and shit like that. So they really solidified an, a wonderful foundation to keep the series going. Do we need to see a new Fast and Furious all the time? Absolutely not. But again, I have to commend them for keeping it relevant and for allowing it to evolve in a way that wasn't super contrived and super silly. Again, the stunts are ridiculous, over the top, but the cars are cool, and the plot isn't that bad. Now, I know that a lot of guys, they go, they watch these movies, they think that just because they put a body kit and a muffler on their car, that they're going to do 150 miles an hour and, and, and run away from cops. Those guys, you guys are jerk jobs. Get it, you know, grow out of that shit. But if you just want to appreciate a solid action flick that's about 90 minutes, it's a good time. You know, it's not, it's not bad. It's it's the same thing with those Death Race movies. After Jason Statham did the first one, even the sequels aren't complete shit. Am I going to go and pay $12 or $15 to see it in the theater? No, but they are enjoyable. Simple as that. Anyway, that actually wraps up the show for this week, a short show, which is... Uh, a welcome departure for yours truly, especially considering that we've done like three and a half hour shows the last two weeks. So it's a, it's a nice it's a nice bit of respite for yours truly. But next week we got Hip Hop Gamer. The 28th we got Jason David Frank, hopefully. So we got a full plate to close out the month of February and hopefully we will continue the trend going into March. Anyway, let's take it home, folks. You've just heard My Take Radio episode 173 for Thursday, February 14th, 2013. If you have any questions, concerns, or would like to be a guest on a future episode of MTR, you can email me at mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. You can always hit up our feedback line, 347-815-0687. That's 347-815-0MTR. If you want to follow us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at mytakeradio.com. We're going to try and reestablish a MySpace presence. Why? I don't know. Um, always, You can always stop by our Facebook fan page and talk to us and hang out with other fans there. Add us to your circle on Google+. And if you want the full MTR experience, make sure to pick up the Android or iOS app. It's $1.99. 
You can pick it up for Android in the Amazon Marketplace and, of course, for iOS, good old reliable iTunes. You get access to 96K stereo episodes of the show and also exclusive content including MTR Behind the Mic, MTR Beyond the Mic, mobile wallpapers, and tons of other little extras as well. Otherwise, you can always listen to the show via Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio, Zune Marketplace, TuneIn Radio, BlackBerry Podcasts, and of course, good old iTunes. And if you are getting the show via iTunes, please take a moment and rate the show. We'd really appreciate it. All right, guys, I am out of here. Thank you guys for tuning in. Happy Valentine's Day for everybody that has significant others. For those of you that don't, grab that Jergens and go to bed. For the ladies, you guys know the deal. Anyway, I'm out of here. I'll catch you guys next week. Peace. I think we're going to go with the awakening from the Maniac Agenda, who recently announced that they did music for Metal Gear Revengeance. So there you have it. Catch you guys next week.